Successful investing is not about trying to predict the future, making forecasts, predictions, prognostications. It's really about trying to understand what we actually know with a reasonable degree of certainty. So what is it that we actually know with a reasonable degree of certainty at the moment? Demographic headwinds are getting much stronger than they have been for most of the past century. This chart is from the world in data. It tracks population growth back to 1700. As I'm sure everyone knows, the 20th century was the most uh, prosperous century in recorded history. But population growth actually peaked in 1963 and has been declining ever since. In 2023, global population growth fell to 0.9%, which is roughly what it was in 1945. The critical thing to understand about demographics is the world economy is us, it's people. It's not GDP, it's not all the various economic uh, aggregates that people look at. We are the world economy. And what that means is that weaker population growth and aging population are major headwinds to economic growth. Now, of course, we all know that new technologies can dramatically increase productivity. And new technologies of the future, particularly things like generative AI, uh, perhaps fusion power, various other things uh, that, that are expected to happen over the next several decades, might mitigate proper population growth. But it's important to recall that the past century has seen the combination of both unprecedented population growth and astonishing advances in technology. So those two things have combined to make the world economy that we live in today, and one of those things won't be present as much over the next de few decades. The second thing we know is that deglobalization is set to accelerate. The growth in world trade when China joined the WTO uh, in 1990 and following the breakdown of the Soviet Union and the fall of the Berlin Wall, we saw a two-thirds increase in global trade relative to global GDP. It was a period of trade growth that has been unprecedented in recorded history. Since then, trade growth has been stagnating. And it was stagnating prior to the pandemic. And this decline has arguably reflected growing US-China tensions. As you can see from the chart, China's trade relative GDP has consistently fallen over the past decade and is actually, China is now a less open economy than Australia. And of course, trade relative to GDP in the United States has also begun to fall. Throughout history, it has been trade that has been critical to global growth and global prosperity. The third thing that we know is that absent another financial crisis, the free money era is over. This chart tracks the Fed funds rate back to 1955. Now you'll notice that the lines are much fuzzier in the earlier period because it was only in 1982 that the Fed funds rate became the target interest rate of the Federal Reserve. But it is still an indicator of where rates have gone over this period. The important thing about this chart though is if you look at the shaded grey areas, past monetary tightening episodes, of which you can see, 
have always led to recessions. Some very mild recessions, as indicated by the very small uh, length of the shaded area. But the long and variable lags of monetary policy mean that the jury is still out this time. It is not unusual to have a period of a year and a half from the first monetary tightening without any real impact showing on the economy. Central banks are hoping for a soft landing because that will allow rates to be normalised. In fact, central banks have tried several times over the past 20 years to normalise rates from ultra-low levels, uh, particularly after the dot-com bubble burst in early 2000. And in fact, the comparable period of monetary policy tightening to the current one is not actually the 1970s, as many people think. It was the 2004-2006 period. Of course, the tightening in 2004-2006 ended because of what happened in credit markets in 2007 and ultimately the full-blown financial crisis that we saw in 2008 and 2009. So the GFC scuppered their last plan at normalisation. It is only something like that crisis that is going to see rates return to the very low levels that we saw prior to the current period. The fourth thing that's important and that we know is that asset prices are decoupling from the economy. Uh, we saw that as part of 2023, where despite high rates in some countries slowing growth, generally speaking, equities went up and they had a very strong year. Credit spreads were stable contrary to what one would expect based on past cycles. So the big question is why is asset price, why are asset prices decoupling from the economy? And the short answer is in this chart. Different countries have different lengths of data on net national wealth relative to GDP, which is what these charts show. But you will notice that we are effectively back in the major developed economies to the levels of wealth to GDP that we saw at the end of the imperialist era in 1900. And the steady rise from the end of the Second World War has truly accelerated in the last decade or so. What this means is that the concentration of wealth that we have, the sheer scale of wealth relative to income, means that income growth is no longer a factor in how many assets you buy or savings flows out of your income are no longer as important in driving asset prices than the actual stock of wealth. It also explains why the old rules of business cycle investing are breaking down. If central banks raise rates and people are able to either dip into their savings pools or sell some assets to maintain their spending, aggregate demand becomes much less responsive to interest rate hikes than previously. And also, the fact that rates go up does not necessarily mean the share prices go down. Finally, to sum up, what are the implications of these four things that we actually know uh, for investment strategy? One, the decades ahead, because of demographics, because of growing deglobalization, because of a more normalized monetary policy, the decades ahead are going to be very different to what we've seen in our lifetime, and particularly over the last 
couple of decades. The implication of this is long-held beliefs on investing and time-honored investment strategies will need to adapt. These strategies and beliefs were born of an era that no longer exists. The next thing that we do know is that increasing signs of financial distress, which are evident everywhere towards the end of the year and also in the first couple of months, particularly in regional banking in the US, uh, these increasing signs of the of financial distress are not consistent with a soft landing. They're telling us that trouble lies ahead as 2024 unfolds and into 2025. And in fact, the Bank for International Settlements has looked at past monetary policy cycles and, and concluded that the full impact of this one will not actually be felt until about the third quarter of 24. So what does this mean? The most important thing is to be very wary of the benign mood in credit markets. And also, given the growth in private debt and private credit markets, the opacity in those markets could end up being a real concern because a lot of credit distress and a lot of defaults may go unnoticed. The other thing that we know is geopolitics and trade protectionism are now material headwinds to growth. What that means is that it's going to be less of a rising tide for index-based investing, and it's going to make stock selection much more critical. The stock picker has not had a very good time in the last decade or so, but I suspect that there will be a great revival in picking stocks and moving away from even index-based active strategies as the next decade unfolds. Finally, Current economic and market thinking is rooted in the era, particularly the post-crisis era and the run-up to the financial crisis in 2008, that no longer exists. The world has changed. So when it comes to active asset allocation, that is going to be a material challenge. And a lot of the strategies based on old rules simply may not work. In conclusion, please remember to focus on what we know about what is actually happening in the world with a very high degree of probability. There can never be any certainty. But basing your investment strategy on forecasts of what economies are going to do over the next couple of years, what interest rates might do, and other such things, is always going to be fraught with difficulty. Focus on what we know is the basic principle of investment strategy.